European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance Volume 39, Issue 21 Focus Issue on Syncope by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia Optimal Management of Syncope, the New ESC Guidelines and Novel Insights into its Underlying Causes Syncope is an abrupt loss of consciousness that may either be transient or ending in sudden death. Its causes are multiple and involve not only cardiac conditions, but also neurological, among many other diseases. Thus, the diagnostic approach, as well as the management, has to be multidisciplinary. This is reflected by the composition of the task force of the 2018 ESC Guidelines for the Diagnosis and Management of Syncope, coordinated by Michele Brignole, which is truly multidisciplinary. Syncope is not that uncommon during sports, in particular in those embarking in competitive sports, which is associated with a wide spectrum of morphologic and functional cardiac adaptations known as the athlete's heart. These structural changes are usually mild compared to age and gender-matched untrained individuals, but in some cases may be striking and overlap with cardiovascular disease such as hypertrophic, dilated, arrhythmogenic, or non-compaction cardiomyopathies. In a current opinion, recommendations for the indication and interpretation of cardiovascular imaging in the evaluation of the athlete's heart, Stefano Caselli and colleagues from the Institute of Sports Medicine and Science in Rome, Italy, remind us that a correct diagnosis is of utmost importance since these pathologies may be responsible for sports-related syncope and sudden cardiac death. Advances in imaging have improved diagnostics allowed for the identification of a broader spectrum of pathologic cardiovascular conditions occurring in athletes, further helping to differentiate benign adaptation from early manifestations of inherited cardiac diseases. An integrated and multimodality imaging approach is suggested to diagnose the most relevant pathologic conditions in athletes. Particularly in patients with congenital heart disease, important factors for syncope or even sudden death are ventricular dysfunction or structural cardiac alterations. For instance, Epstein anomaly can present with both right and left heart abnormalities, however, clinically useful predictors of sudden death have not been established. In their article, Sudden Death in Patients with Epstein Anomaly, Christopher J. McLeod and colleagues from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA, sought to characterize such risk factors in 968 Epstein patients. The 10-year, 50-year, and 70-year incidences of sudden death were 0.8%, 8.3%, and 14.6% respectively. Prior ventricular tachycardia, heart failure, tricuspid valve surgery, syncope, pulmonary stenosis, and hemoglobin above 15 grams per deciliter were predictors of sudden death. Thus, patients with Epstein are at significant risk of sudden death. Such predictors can aid in risk stratification and potentially guide primary prevention with ICD implantation, as further discussed in an editorial by Justin Thomas Tretter from the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center in Ohio, USA.
In more than half of unexplained sudden cardiac arrests, a specific etiology can be found by careful evaluation. In their article, Characteristics and Clinical Assessment of Unexplained Sudden Cardiac Arrest in the Real-World Setting, Focus on Idiopathic Ventricular Fibrillation, Elwa Marijon and colleagues note that characteristics and the extent to which such cases undergo a systematic thorough investigation in real-life practice are unknown. Among 18,622 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests, 717 survivors at hospital discharge fulfilled the definition of sudden cardiac arrest. Of those, 12.3% remained unexplained after ECG, echocardiography, and coronary angiography. Cardiac magnetic resonance imaging yielded the diagnosis in 3.5% of the cases, Other investigations provided 2.4% additional diagnoses, and 6.8% were considered as idiopathic ventricular fibrillation. Among the latter, 16.3% benefited from a complete workup, including pharmacological testing. Younger patients and those admitted to university centres were more thoroughly investigated. Genetics testing and family screening were initiated in only 18.4% and 24.5% respectively. Thus, complete investigations are carried out in a very low proportion of patients with unexplained cardiac arrest. Standardised systematic approaches need to be implemented as outlined in an editorial by Andrew D. Cran from the University of Western Ontario in London, Ontario, Canada. Patients with aortic stenosis may also experience syncope, typically if it is severe and during abrupt physical stress. Among the different forms of aortic stenosis, those with a reduced valve area, preserved left ventricular ejection fraction, and low flow are currently defined using Doppler echocardiography by a stroke volume index below 35 milliliters per meter squared. However, the relationship between low flow and outcome is unclear, as pointed out by Christophe Trebouillot and colleagues from the Amiens CEDEX 1 in Paris, France, in their article, Impact of Low Stroke Volume on Mortality in Patients with Severe Aortic Stenosis and Preserved Left Ventricular Ejection Fraction. They analyzed the relationship between low flow and mortality in 1,450 patients with aortic valve area less than 1 cm squared and preserved ejection fraction and 1,645 normal controls. Five-year survival was particularly low, with a stroke volume index below 30 milliliters per meter squared. After adjustment for outcome predictors, including surgery, mortality risk remained considerable in this group. Similar mortality risk was observed for stroke volume index of 30 to 35 milliliters per meter squared. The prognostic impact of a low stroke volume index was consistent in subgroups, including asymptomatic patients and patients with low-gradient severe aortic stenosis. Thus, low flow, defined as a stroke volume index below 30 milliliters per meter squared, is an important outcome predictor in severe aortic stenosis with preserved left ventricular ejection fraction under medical and surgical management. Further studies are needed to prospectively test these values for risk stratification and decision-making, as further outlined in a thoughtful editorial by Victoria Delgado from the Leiden University Medical Centre in the Netherlands.
The incidence of new-onset conduction abnormalities requiring permanent pacemaker implantation after transcatheter aortic valve implantation, or TAVI, differs among different valve types and implantation techniques. In a meta-analysis entitled Pacemaker Implantation Rate After Transcatheter Aortic Valve Implantation with Early and New Generation Devices, a Systematic Review, Jeroen J. Bax and colleagues from the Leiden University Medical Center in the Netherlands reviewed 1,406 original articles with 348, which account for 17,139 patients, were examined. The incidence of a permanent pacemaker implantation after the use of a new generation TAVI prosthesis ranged between 2% and 36%. For the balloon expandable prosthesis early generation Sapien device, it ranged between 2.3% and 28.2%, and with the Sapien 3, between 4 to 24%. For the self-expandable prostheses, the permanent pacemaker implantation rates were higher with the early generation of core valve devices, with 163 to 37.7%, and despite a reduction in permanent pacemaker implantation rates with the new Evolute R, they remained relatively higher, with 14.7% to 26.7%. Patients at high risk were more frequently women, had pre-existent conduction abnormalities, calcification of the left ventricular outflow tract, prior balloon valvuloplasty, and low implantation of the valve. Thus, the rate of permanent pacemaker implantation after TAVI with new generation devices is highly variable. Specific recommendations should consider pre-existent conduction abnormalities and anatomical factors to reduce the risk of permanent pacemaker implantation. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.